Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. The New Testament book of Ephesians. <clears throat> the New Testament book of Ephesians. And if you don't mind, we're going to probably start at verse number 7. We're going to hit a uh, couple different things. Remember, we're in a Sunday school series dealing with the idea under the furtherance of the gospel. And that... <laughs> We want to see the Word of God go forth. We want to see people encouraged. We want to see people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've divided this Sunday School series into four different sections. That we're right now in a section dealing with truth. That if we're going to have the gospel go forward, we have to have truth. We are also going to have a section starting next week talking about friendship. That if we're going to be an influence, if the gospel is going to be effective to the people we're reaching, there has to be influence and friendship. And then we're going to end up this series dealing with the idea of world evangelism, with the idea that we have to organize our efforts in order to get the gospel out. It's not going to happen by accident. It has to come with planning, uh, planning and purpose to see the gospel go forth. But as for now, we're finishing up this little section on truth, and we come to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, and notice with me, if you don't mind, let's start in um, verse number 7. But unto every one of us that is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same that, <laughs> same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, by the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 14, or chapter 4, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, notice with me in verse 15, Ephesians 4, 15, notice the phrase, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in 
love. Now, as we're dealing with the idea of truth, that if we're going to get the truth out, we must speak the truth and we must speak it in love. One of the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ is found in the book of John chapter 1 verse 14, where it speaks about that he was full of grace and truth. You see, we must have both of those things, grace and truth. That if you give truth with no grace, then people just get mad. If you give grace with no truth, you're not helping them. You're just giving them something sugary. They must have truth and grace in order for them to receive the message. And this is how the Lord Jesus Christ spake. And this is what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit is instructing us dealing with the idea of the local church in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter four, uh, chapter three, chapter four and on. It's talking about the unity of the local church. Now, how do we get a unity in the local church? We preached a whole series on the book of Ephesians, but how do we get unity? I've heard some um, pastors who are getting ready to go pastor a brand new church and they go, bless God, I'm going to preach on unity and we're going to be built together. Well, let me tell you, unity doesn't come because someone preached a message that we all need to band together. Unity comes when we're all looking at the same object looking unto Jesus. And that if we're all looking to Jesus, we're all moving forward the same direction to the same goal. And that it's God that is the goal. Jesus must be the goal. That's where unity comes from. Unity comes when we're all going to the same place together and looking unto Jesus. And so the book of Ephesians has the theme of unity and all throughout it is trying to say if we're going to be joined together inside of a local church moving forward with what God has given us to do, we have to be looking to Jesus. We have to be moving together. And in order for people to be moving forward, this is why we have to speak the truth in love with grace and truth. Now, before we hit the context of the book of Ephesians, it is often good to see where the church came from. Where did the church of Ephesus start from? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, we're going to come back here in just a second. But turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And let's see how this church of Ephesus was started. And it just so happens that this is one of my favorite passages in all of the scripture. In fact, if you were to say, uh, describe me, if you were going to say, what is your theory? What is your philosophy? What is your uh, theology dealing with ministry and what God has for me specifically to do? Acts chapter 19 is where I'd go each and every time. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul shows up to the book, uh, to the city of Ephesus. And if you don't mind, let's pick it up and let's see um, in verse num- uh, chapter 19, verse 1, he shows up in Ephesus. Notice with me in verse number 8. He went into the synagogue, that's the Apostle Paul, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. As we're talking about speaking the truth and love, we could see that as they go to start the church of Ephesus, the first thing we see here is that he was speaking the truth three months in the synagogue. He was speaking, speaking the truth three months in the synagogue. As the Apostle Paul's normal habit was 
he would go to where the scriptures were at first. In the ancient world, it was the local synagogue. The local synagogue, no matter where they were at, they had a copy of the Old Testament scriptures. And so it's easy to go to a place that had a copy of the scriptures and start from the scriptures. Notice what he did in verse number eight. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly. Now, we could speak boldly. May we say we could speak things that are hard without being harsh. You understand there's a difference between hard preaching and harsh preaching. Hard preaching just says there are things that are hard to listen to because they're against our flesh. They're against what we've been taught. We didn't grow up such way and so they're hard. There are things that maybe we don't want to do. They're hard. But we don't ever have to be harsh about it. That a preacher has no business calling people's names. Bless God ye heifer and, and, and all of that nonsense. Some people may get a kick out of listening to that, but I don't want my children, my wife, my daughters to be under such preaching. You understand this is part of speaking the truth in love is that we're allowed to say hard things, but we're not saying harsh things. There is a difference. But he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Meaning that people would come up with questions and he would dispute them. He would debate them. He would uh, answer those questions. He would persuade them. And that part of it is that we're trying to persuade. We're not trying to have, well, tell me what you think and I'll tell you what I think. And then we'll both acknowledge that we both think differently and go away. Well, as a preacher or someone who's trying to teach the word of God, you are trying to persuade them. This is what the Bible says. What are you going to do because of this? That any type of Bible study where it's like, all right, everyone will go around the room. You tell me what you think about the passage. All right, that was good. Let's go home. Nothing's going to be accomplished. Because we have to have the thing where we're persuading. This is what the Bible says. What are you going to do? And so we could see the Apostle Paul, he started at the synagogue because they had the scriptures. Then he began to persuade. He began to dispute with them. That word dispute means that there were times he had to say, you are wrong. People hate that. But let me tell you, not everyone's right. Someone may have some wrong theology. They may have some wrong religion. They may have some other things. And again, we don't have to be harsh about it, but we have to be bold about it. I'm sorry, we do not worship the Pope. That may not be how you raised, but we do not. We have to be, there are things that we dispute. I'm sorry, that is something that we, we do not believe. There are any other books of the Bible outside of what is found inside of the Bible. That's not true. We don't have to go to the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price or any of these other sources. We do have to dispute. We do have to say, this is what the Bible says, and we're persuading people to follow after Christ. Again, we could do that hard preaching, but not harsh. Does that make sense? This is part of speaking the truth in love. And he did this in the the city of Ephesus for the space of about three years. Notice what happened after this in verses 9 and 10. But when the diverse were hardened, meaning that they heard the word of God, they decided they weren't going to respond to the word of God, so their hearts were hardened. We've spoken about hardened hearts before quite a bit. How do you get a hardened heart? By when you hear the word of God and you don't respond to it. So when the diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way. Uh, Notice that phrase, the way. 
uh, this is a little trivia question, but that's how Christians were referred to back in the ancient world. They were followers of the way. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the life. No man go to the Father but by me. And so someone who was following after Christ were followers of that way. You'll see that all throughout the book of Acts quite a bit. So just as you're learning. But spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued in the space of two years, so that they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So what happened is that after he spent three months in the synagogue, they finally rose up and said, listen here, we're, not, we're done with this. We're done with what you're teaching. You need to go somewhere else. So the Apostle Paul grabbed, grabbed those disciples. Those are the people who accepted Christ and decided they want to follow after him. And he brought them to a rented hall of school of run Tyrannus. And there he daily began to teach them. This was what I would call a Bible institute. And for the space of two years, he taught them. The word of God. Again, he's speaking in the truth and love. He's speaking about that for two years. But notice what happened. Verse 10. And they continued by the space of two years. So that all they that dwelt in Asia. This is speaking about the area of Asia Minor. We now know as Turkey. Heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Both Jews and Greeks. Now, this is a big deal. Ephesus is a city inside of Asia Minor. Turkey. May we say for context sake, I'm not sure on the dimensions, but let's say for comparison's sake, it's the state of Wisconsin. Okay. Now Wisconsin's fairly big, five hours to get from one side of the state to the other. Who knows 10 million miles <laughs> to get from the bottom to the top up in the North woods. And you don't know if you're in Canada or not, even though Wisconsin doesn't touch Canada up there, just out there in the middle of nowhere. So there's a lot of space. So if you can imagine Paul making a base in the city of Ephesus, teaching from a Bible institute, teaching daily in the school for two years that all of Asia heard. How did that happen? Well, he would take people, win them to the Lord, begin to disciple them and encourage them to go tell others. And those people who went to that Bible institute, learned from Paul, would go out to the entire state, to the entire country. And so in the space of two years, everyone in that region of Asia Minor, the, state, uh, the country of Turkey that we know today, heard the gospel Amen. in two years' time. Why? He spoke the truth in love. He instructed the disciples. He discipled them. They multiplied and they reached out. By the way, it can be done. It was done there in a space of two years. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in Wisconsin had heard? Amen. By the way, this is why this is the philosophy of missions or ministry that I have here. That we take the word of God. We teach people the word of God. We instruct them, train them how to go do the same thing. By the way, one of the churches that was started was the church of Colossae. The apostle Paul never went to the church of Colossae, but it was started because of what was done in the church of Ephesus. Uh, and so Paul never had started that church. Someone else did, but yet there's a book in the Bible as he's encouraging them and writing a letter to it. It was part of one of the cities. There was several of churches that was started because of what was done in that school of one Tyrannus in the space of two years. 
This is important. This is a big deal to be able to organize your effort to teach the truth and love to people, to teach people how to take the truth and go teach it to someone else. That we could see that they were teaching in the school of one Tyrannus the truth and love. But what else happens? Well, notice what occurs starting at verse number 18. Um, the book of Ephesus, or the book of uh, Acts, chapter 19. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 18. So time went on. We could see an uproar came up. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also, which brought their curious arts. This is witchcraft books. So they brought all their Harry Potter books. So they brought all their witchcraft books. And they brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. If I remember right, I could be off, but this is between a quarter million to a half a million dollars worth of books that were burnt that day. Because people said, I don't need this witchcraft book anymore. I don't need to follow this anymore. I'm getting rid of this. I'm cleaning out my closet. I'm getting rid of these old CDs. I'm getting rid of these old records. We're cleaning house. We're no longer listening to Elvis sing the gospel. We're no longer listening to all of this other garbage. And we're getting rid of it all. And the people clean their houses. They're determined to serve the Lord. I don't need this other junk anymore. This was a big deal. But as they start getting great victories, there's going to be a great opposition. What happened is that the silversmiths who lived in the temple or lived in Ephesus began to have a problem. Now in Ephesus, they had a huge temple to Diana, who was one of the fertility goddesses. Very immoral pictures. Uh, in order to worship Diana, you had to perform sexual acts and out of name of worship. They had a rule that no one could be arrested within a mile of the temple. So guess where everyone was hanging out at? And in addition, what they would do is they would have little silver pieces that they had in their gift shop that, hey, I visited the temple of Diana. And they would take these little statues of Diana and they could bring them with them. Well, because so many people were getting saved, so many people were getting discipled, so many people were getting right with God, that they were getting rid of their junk, including the little keychains and whatever else, that they went to Lambeau Stadium. I mean, they went to the temple of Diana and no one showed up anymore. No one showed up to do these things. No one picked up the stuff from the gift shop. And now they're losing money. And so they had a little meeting of the silversmith guild. And they met inside of Lambo. I mean, um, <laughs> the temple of Diana. And they said, listen, that church down the street. Because so many people are going to church on Sunday. No one's coming to our games on Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? And so because of that, we have to get rid of that. And the leader of that's that Paul guy. And so for a space of two hours in this meeting, they said, great is the temple of Diana. Great is the temple of Diana. And they're singing and they start getting the crowd into a fervor and they're looking for the apostle Paul. Now you could read the story for yourself, but you understand when we're making an impact on the world, it's going to be noticed. Wouldn't it be amazing if for some reason the Green Bay Packers couldn't fill in a, Saturday, a Sunday game because so many people were in church? It happened there. Why not here? This is why it's my philosophy on 
ministry, what we need to be doing here. Just following what works in the Bible, it still works today. By the way, it's still an effect of having the truth and love. That we're not being harsh, we're saying hard things, but we're not being harsh. But we're teaching people and teaching them how to teach people. And it's multiplying and it's working and getting the truth out. Now with that context in mind, let's go back to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter number four. Still with the concept of speaking the truth in love, understanding practically or historically what happened in the book of Acts chapter 19, dealing with this church. So this church, it's not just an imagine if, it's not just a theology, it's not just something they read in a book, it is something they experienced themselves. So with it, about teaching the truth in love. Let's look and see some things here about dealing with the idea of truth in the idea of ministry. Now notice with me in verse number 11. So this is a continual thought from verse number 8. Verse 9 9 and 10 are what is called a parenthetical thought, meaning it's a parenthesis thing that's a break within a thought. It's a thought within a thought. So we could take verses 9 and 10 and set it aside for the purpose of getting the complete thought from verse 8 through 11, or 8 to 11. Verse number 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, notice this, and gave gifts unto men. So what gifts did he give unto men? Verse number 11. And he gave some, these gifts, apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice this. So notice these gifts that he gave to the church. First of all, he gave to the apostles. Now, apostle wasn't a sit one. It was someone who had saw who had raised up in the ministry of John the Baptist, had saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and was picked by the Lord to deliver the word of God. Is that an office we have today? No, because we haven't had anyone who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. We don't have anyone alive. Some of you may feel like you've been alive that long, but none of you were alive during the ministry of John the Baptist. So, but he gave that for the purpose of giving us some of the scripture. Aren't you glad that we had some of the scripture? He gave some prophets. This carries the idea of that there was other people who were not apostles that God had given to give us the word of God. Um, we have the, like the books of Jude and some of these other ones. They were important to give us the rest of the word of God. But those people are no longer in this context of what it is. A functioning office today because no more scripture is being revealed. It's a closed revelation. Notice the next one evangelist. The word evangelist in the Old or in the New Testament is our same concept of a missionary, an itinerant church planter that they go somewhere, they win someone to the Lord, they disciple them, they give them accountability, then they ordain one of them to take that local church, they commend them to the Lord and go somewhere else and do it again. That's a missionary. So this concept of evangelist in the Bible is a missionary. All right, we appreciate them. But dealing with a local church, he gives pastors and teachers. This is one office, pastor and teacher. And this is a gift that he gave to the church. Why? Notice in verse number 12, you'll see the word for mentioned a couple times. In the Bible, oftentimes when you see the word for, you could ask the question, why? So in verse number 11, God gave to the local church pastors and teachers. 
we could see the next word in verse number 12 is for. So we could ask the question, why? Why did God give pastors and teachers? Notice this. For the perfecting of the saints. Why did God give you a pastor? For the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting carries the idea to make complete or to make whole. And that's what God wants. That's what you're doing here today. Is that God is trying to perfect you. He's trying to make you complete or whole. He's trying to make you a complete Christian. Complete in Christ. Give you everything that God wants you to have. That he desires you to have inside of your Christian life. He is trying to perfect you. Notice the next word. So for perfecting the, the, for the perfecting of the saints. What's the next word? Verse number 12, four. Very good. And when you see the word four, oftentimes you could ask the question, why? Good. All right. So he gave, God gave gifts unto the church, pastors being one of the, the gifts. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. Four. So we ask the question, why? Why does he want the saints perfected? Notice in verse number 12, for the work of the ministry. Notice this. Why does he want the saints perfected? For the work of the ministry. According to verse number 12, it is not the pastor's job to go soul winning. Amen. According to verse number 12, it is your job as the saints to go soul winning. Now, as a church member, I go soul winning. But as a pastor, that's not my job. My past job as a pastor is to perfect the saints. So that way they can do the work of the ministry. Remember, the work of God is not done within these four walls. The work of God is done outside of these four walls as we go reach our community. Isn't that what we saw before in the book of Acts chapter 19? As they came and they were perfected by the apostle Paul. And they went out and did the work of the ministry. And some churches were started that Paul never started. Because they went out and as they were perfected to do the work of the ministry. That all of Asia heard all of the people within that herd in the space of two years, why Paul was still on location in Ephesus, that all of the other region had heard the gospel. This is what God's plan was, that he gave to the local church, to the church, a gift of a pastor. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. What's the next word found in verse number 12? You can guess now. Four. And when you see the word for, oftentimes you could ask the question. Why? Good. So why does God want the saints perfected so they could do the work of the ministry? Why does God want the saints doing the work of the ministry? For the edifying, that word carries the idea of building up here, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that the body of Christ is built up. So more people are added to it. Amen. You see, we're never going to reach the world by addition. We'll only reach the world by multiplication. Meaning that as a person, I can only reach a certain number of people. I'm limited. Now, I may be able to reach a, a decent amount of people. I may reach a small amount of people. But I can't reach the entire world by myself. So God has never asked us to reach it by addition. It is always by multiplication. Meaning that as I train you, you are perfected, you go out and do the work of the ministry. As you are reaching people, we're reaching them by multiplication. By the way, you find that in the book of Acts 2. If you pay attention to those, um, 
math terms, you could see in the book of Acts, verse number or chapter number two, they were added to them 3,000 souls. You could see some more addition, more addition. Until you start reaching towards the middle part of Acts, and then you could see they started to multiply. Acts chapter six is a good example. The word of God multiplied. Because we cannot reach the world by addition. We do it by multiplication. The miracle multiplication. So what we're seeing here, Acts chapter 19, we see the historical thing of how the church of Ephesus came to be. That he started off in the synagogue teaching the truth and love, being hard but not harsh, being bold but not harsh. And for a space of three months, he saw people get saved and people who decided to follow after Christ. Well, after the synagogue kind of threw him out, he went to the school of one Tyrannus. And for the space of three years, he took those people and trained them and got more people and trained them. And they went out into all of the area for our purposes, the size of the state of Wisconsin. And everyone, not everyone got saved, but everyone had heard the gospel. And then we can see that because of that, so many people getting saved, there was, going, there was effects within the community that people got thoroughly right, that people stopped going to the places they weren't supposed to go or even the waste of time things in order to um, be there at the house of the Lord. As we come to the book of Ephesians, we could see now the theology of it. So we see the historical and the theology of it, that we could see that God gave gifts unto the church. One of them being a pastor. Why did God give a pastor? For the perfecting of the saints. Why does he want the saints perfected? For the work of the ministry. Why does he want the saints doing the work of the ministry? For the edifying of the body of Christ. This is how God has designed it. This is the purpose of speaking the truth in love. That it's not to satisfy curiosity. Meaning that when we come up here and preach, it's not for the purpose of saying, whoa, that was a good story, all right, let's go home, let's go find out what's on TV. The purpose of it is so that way you can be perfected and you can go do the work of the ministry. And we could see the body of Christ edified, built up. This is how God has designed it. But we, only, we can only do it as we have truth. And we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Part of that is, is um, teaching people how to do things. May I take a little example, a little side thing? <laughs> Many of you have been here enough to do. I am very predictable, stable on the things I do. All right? So I start from sitting up here and I stand up to the pulpit. What is the first thing that I ask? If you would not mind, take your copy of the Word of God. Notice what I do. I ask you nicely. If you wouldn't mind, would you take your copy of the Word of God? Instead of saying, open your Bibles now. Some people do that. But do you ever notice that I do that? Yeah. Will you please take your copy of the Word of God? If you would not mind, would you? I ask you questions when I preach. And I try to do it in a nice way. That's part of speaking the truth in love. I'm going to tell you the truth regardless. But I can be nice about it. You understand, those are little tiny practical things that we're trying to put into it. If you wouldn't mind to take your hymn book, and if you're physically able to stand with me, you understand that's a softer tone. I'm not demanding anything of anybody. I'm asking you, if you wouldn't mind, to draw you near. You understand, even if we watch our speech now, uh, my kids know this. 
<laughs> one of them asked this the other day. I said, would you, it'd be nice if this was taken care of. And they said, that wasn't a suggestion, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but I, I could be nice about it, right? I had someone I was working with and trying to train once that I, um, I said, you know, it'd be really nice if this lawn was mowed and this was kind of taken care of before Sunday. And it didn't get done. And I think Max pulled him aside and said, you know, pastor, um, pastor meant for you to get that done, right? <laughs> it's sort of like that, right? Yeah, okay. Same semblance of it, whatever else. <laughs> but you know, we could be nice to people when we speak. We don't have to demand. We could ask. Part of this is speaking truth and love. Would you mind if I showed you from the Bible how you could know for sure that you go to heaven? You understand, I'm still going to say the same thing, but I could be nice in how my tone is. Part of this is speaking the truth in love. I'm not changing my message, but I'm also not demanding anything from them either. Listen here, right now. You know what happens? People get turned off. But if I ask you, it draws people near. It draws them closer. It makes them where they're more willing to listen to me. Now, of course, there's always going to be rebellious people. I have a preacher joke. He says, every time you said, would you please take your copy of the word of God and open with me? He says, no, I won't. We always know that there's always going to be the rebellious people up there. But for the most part, speaking the truth in love, we could draw people near. I'm not changing my message. I know a lot of people who preach the same message that I do, but the way that it is delivered is harder to swallow. We can be kind about how we state things. Draw them in. Give them a reason why to listen. We're not changing the message. We're just not demanding anything. We're asking. I'm giving a practical application. And as we think about that, I've seen some of the faces. We can always change the way that we speak to people. We can always adjust how we are. Our tone and our pitch and our tenor when we're dealing with things. We could ask people and bring them along. You know, if I have their permission, you know, one of the reasons why we ask, can I show you from the Bible if, how you can know for 100% sure? If they say yes, then they gave me permission. It's hard to get mad at me if they gave me permission to do it, right? Exactly, yeah. You know, it just it's little things like that that can make a big difference in a conversation. For example, you know, now we're getting practical. We're kind of left the message, but might as well be practical about it. Let's say that your boss, supervisor, biblical authority, your pastor says, gives an instruction that you don't necessarily agree with. You know, you can, and we often do, march into their office together. Why in the world are you doing something stupid like that? That doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. Wouldn't it be easier just to go in? You know what? You gave this order here. and Could you clarify that for me? I, maybe I didn't understand that. Or if it's something that we definitely know. You know what? Have you considered doing it this way? You know, it's an easier way to approach it and still get the same message across. But at least they're listening to me now rather than already on the defensive. You know, <laughs> something about us that if somebody attacks, we're ready to fight and defend. The Bible talks about that a soft word turneth away wrath. Amen. Even if we don't agree with someone, if we ask 
questions. If you've never written this down from anything that I've ever said, perhaps you could do this now. Statements accuse, questions convict. Statements accuse, questions convict. Again, we're, do, we're trying to be practical here. How we deal with people. You can say you are wrong, and now they're on the defensive. You could be right. <laughs> they could be wrong. But if you ask them questions, have you um, thought about how this works out? You know, we start asking questions they're no longer on the defensive. Now we're having a conversation. And with questions, they can come to their own conclusion rather than you telling them what they should be thinking. Does that make sense? It's part of drawing them in. These are practical things that we can do to bring people, to draw them in. Of course, there's always going to be the crowd that wants to hear that harsh preaching. I don't know if their lives are changed, but they're entertained by that. Bless God, that preacher cleared off a spot and he let us have it and he just tore into it. And there's a time for that. But, you know, we could say hard things to people without being harsh. And we could draw people and bring people a lot further along than what they would if we do such things. Does it mean that we're pushovers? Does it mean that <laughs> they could easily kick us off? But notice, if you don't mind, in the book of Ephesians, let's finish off this in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's, we hit verses 11 and 12. Let's finish off the, this uh, passage and see where it goes. Verse number 13. Till we come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Now notice this. God gave gifts unto the church, including pastors, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the end of this? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. We're all moving in the same direction. We're all looking towards Christ. We're seeing what Christ has done. And to the knowledge of the Son of God. We're all pointing to people to Christ. And we're bringing people along. And we're doing whatever we can to bring them to the knowledge. The message doesn't change. How we deliver it can be worked on a little bit. But we're trying to bring people along for the same purpose. To point people to Christ. Verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children. Bible doctrine will mature people and keep them from being children in the faith. Immature Christians, Bible doctrine matures people. And we're trying to perfect them, trying to go up there. And now that they're no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, and by the slight of man and by cunning and craftiness, where they lie and wait to deceive. You know, people are blown around with every wind of the doctrine. That's a uh, word picture. Can you imagine? And we all see it. Some people that, oh, today I believe this, and today I believe this, and today I believe this, and tomorrow I'll believe this. And it, they believe whatever, who's talked to them last. Amen. Well, we don't want them to do that. We want them to be nailed down, secured, stabilized, looking unto Jesus. So they're no more blown around. People are doing that all the time. They don't know what they believe or why they believe. And they believe what the last person who talked to them influenced them believe. Notice this in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him 
in all things. Which is the head, speaking the head of the church, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by every joint supplieth according to the effectual worker of the measure of every part. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in Love. Verse 16 is a picture of the local church. It's giving a thing of a body, of a building, and it's put together, fit, uh, fit, uh, framed fitly, put together. And what God is doing is he's perfecting the saints, is he's putting them as part of the building, not this building, but the local church. Everyone has a spot. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a function. Everyone has something to do. And as that, that part is ready, he puts them in there. And that church actually continues to grow. That building continues to grow as it's able to function and organize and move because they're all stable. Nothing like using cheap parts. You know, you take a bolt. A bolt doesn't look that important. You find them all over the place. But a bolt can hold down a plane wing. A bolt can hold down something. And if that bolt's not strong and it snaps, well, then it could wreck the building. It could wreck the thing that you have in there. That's why it needs to be strong and then <laughs> secured so the building does not suffer. It always stays strong. These are word pictures that he's trying to put in mind. All dealing with the idea that we have to get truth. We speak the truth in love, but it's not for the purpose of, <laughs> we understand we have to have a grace and truth. That if we don't have truth, we're not going to have people perfected. If we don't have truth, we're not going to be strong. If we don't have truth, we're not going to have a message to give. If we don't have truth, we're not going to be able to, to move with what God has given us to. If we don't have truth, we have no mission. We have fluff. And so many churches are ineffective because they have fluff. We have to have truth. But I could speak the truth in such a way that draws people near rather than pushes them away. And that's what we're trying to do here. So if nothing else, the Sunday school series or message gave you a more of an insight of what we're trying to get accomplished here. I believe in the pattern of Acts chapter 19. And I can't wait until the Temple of Diana here in Green Bay. I mean, Lambeth, whatever. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if they're all in church? Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if people are functioning for the Lord and witnessing and seeing things happen? Now, if Green Bay Packers are your favorite team, you may not like this message whatsoever. But I think we're getting the concept across. That we understand, I know the Dallas Cowboys really hope that I get this accomplished. Football joke, it's all right. But you understand, this is what we're trying to get done, done here. We're not compromising on truth. We're not changing the message and we're not letting people bring in whatever they want to bring in. But I don't have to be harsh about it either. I could still speak boldly. I could say the things that need to be said. But we do it in such a way that helps people rather than pushes them away. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.